Hello there and welcome to the Secrets of Organ Playing podcast. I'm your host, Vidas Pinkavichus. Today's guest is my longtime friend, Swedish organ expert and organist Joran Gran, who is active as organ consultant, making programs for restorations and new building of pipe organs. He is also the secretary of International Society of Organ Builders, a society of around 300 organ builders worldwide and a curator of Museum of Musical Instruments and Manuscripts, Stiftelsen Musikkulturens Fremjende. In this conversation, Joran shares his insights about the Swedish organ culture, instruments, history, style and music. Let's go to the show and find out all there is to know about Swedish organ culture. So, Jorn, I'm so delighted that we are finally having this uh, conversation. I I was waiting for it uh, about uh, a, f- a few months uh, uh, to arrange r- this conversation, and it's it's finally it's finally here. And um, I f- I hope uh, people around the world will get so much inspiration of this conversation because you, Jorn, are a person who knows everything about Swedish organs and Swedish organ culture, isn't it? Oh, well, maybe not absolutely everything, but I know some, yes. So thank you so much, Jorn, for joining the show and welcome. Yes, I'm very glad to be with you. Wonderful. So let's start a little bit about your background. I I, I wonder, always uh, try to ask people how they first uh, uh, fall in love uh, with the organ. You know, did you remember this childhood days uh, when somebody introduced you to the pipe organ? Can you yeah. share the story for, with us? Yeah, so I I um, actually came in contact with sort of organ like things uh, when I started first year in school because in every classroom in Sweden there was one of those reed organs, harmoniums uh, and uh, that one was played every morning where we had to sing hymns because it was obligatory with the morning prayer every morning in the classrooms in those days and uh, so I thought that was an interesting instrument and, and later on when the school finished for the term we had the, the little service in the church and then I remember the headmaster was playing on this very, very big thing up on the gallery. And I I thought this was a fantastic thing. So that's my first contact. And actually, when I already then, as a seven-year-old, fell in love with the organ. Fantastic. Seven years old, right? Um, that's the cu- most curious age of, of any child, right? Uh, yeah. Whether you start uh, painting or drawing or dancing or, or playing instruments, singing... Yeah. And uh, gl- I'm very glad that this first pipe organ experience happened so early in your childhood, yeah. right? I remember I made uh, paper pipes and put them up on on, on the, some sort of board, and then I had a mouth harmonica which I played and played with the other hand or at the same time. Oh, uh, so we, so you were not only um, musically inclined, but also you had some engineering gen, uh, uh, genes in you, right? You wanted to find out how things worked, right? And build yes, yourself pipe, yes. uh, p- yeah. paper pipes. Wonderful. Paper pipes, yes. Wonderful. And what happened next, uh, uh, Joran? Uh, how did you learn to play the organ? Well, I started a little bit with piano when I was little, uh, and, and uh, then my my interest took a little break. I would say somewhere from let's say 
maybe an eight, nine years old up till about 13 years old. I was more into trams and trains during those two years. And uh, then at some point I was in some kind of church youth club and they asked us if we had seen a pipe organ or a church organ ever in our lives. We hadn't, of course. We were all invited up to the church and, and come up and see the organ and also try the organ. And then I played a little bit of piano. And um, uh, so I was allowed to try the organ for the first time. And then I was absolutely sold on the organ. And I remember then I wanted to start playing the organ, but then they said, oh, no, you have to play another two years of piano before you can start with the organ and I think I've never been so sad in my life as that day so nowadays I always say let any young children start playing the organ right uh, regardless whether they they have piano experience or not right yeah. uh, regardless uh, whether their legs are long enough right to, to reach yes. the pedals now in Sweden actually they have they make special pedal boards for children so they can reach the pedals even with short legs uh-huh. right right yeah and the uh, Swedish uh, organ culture, uh, of course, you first uh, um, uh, get uh, acquainted with with this local tradition, right? And uh, I'm very curious uh, when you started uh, later travel uh, in, in, in your experience. Uh, can you describe a little bit uh, the Swedish organ uh, uh, flavor, if if we, if we can uh, say that? What is the main characteristic of the Swedish organs? Well, I would say the normal traditional Swedish historic organ is a very singing organ. It's used for congregational singing with very vocal voicing. And uh, the tradition as such from the beginning of Swedish history is a slight bit complicated. It first started with medieval, so the, the, old, the oldest medieval organs uh, that still remain, the remains of medieval organs are in Sweden, came from the island Gotland. And uh, those two organs are displayed uh, in the Historical Museum in Stockholm. So one is from 1377, and the other one is from around 1400. And the one from 1400 already also has action and wind chests uh, preserved. So basically it's, what, uh, 14th century, right? Uh, 700 years ago almost, right? It's like real, the beginning of uh, written-down organ music. We have, uh, remember, the old um, manuscript called Robert's Bridge Codex, Codex, Italian origin, but from English uh, English library. And... uh, that's probably uh, you're talking about the uh, early Swedish organ, which easily can accommodate those medieval sounds, right? Yeah. So, and the first, the oldest organ is actually signed, even from somebody called Werner from Brandenburg, 1377. So it was actually somebody from Germany who came to Gotland to build the organ. Of course, Gotland has came into different nationalities and different conquerors' hands during the history. So. Mm-hmm. Not really sure. It probably might might not have been Swedish in those days, but uh, anyway, we have also other other examples of a medieval organ uh, culture in, in in Sweden. So there were there were quite many churches and cathedrals who had organs very early. Right. So, so it's it's uh, definitely um, something that that, that uh, has a very long long history back in Sweden. 
wonderful. And uh, you mentioned they already have uh, in thirteen seventy seven. Did they have uh, organ stop action sort of, uh, or was no, it? No, these two organs that are preserved, they, those were blocked very cool. So they didn't. Okay, yes. Mm -hmm. So only one one color basically would have been yes. possible to play. Mm -hmm. And they have something like four or five ranks mm -hmm. of the queens and octaves, and, mm -hmm. and uh, so so uh, and also the keyboard uh, preserved or the keyboard slots show a rather rather primitive old-fashioned keyboard before the standardized keyboard from the 16th century and onwards. Wonderful. And I assume there were no pedals at that time. No, oh yes, with pedals. Yes, with, with pedals. pedals. Yeah. So, um, can, can you speculate, Joran, a little bit? Uh, what kind of pedal uh, passages can be played or could have been played at that time? I think definitely, probably Cantus Firmus mm. tunes or something like that, because the pedals are rather primitive. So, you can only play with your toe, this little thing sticking out, and then you can play with the toe on that pedal. So, probably they paid, played uh, sort of. Uh, long notes like Cantus Firmus or something like that. Uh, so people who are in love with Max Reger's music should be disappointed, right? Yes, absolutely. <laughs> yes. Or, or, or the pedal solos or something like that. Right, right, right. But actually, when we, if we go a little bit further on in, in the Swedish organ history, in the 17th century, other organ builders from Germany came to, to Sweden and built basically the same kind of organ as they had in northern Germany. Mm -hmm. Uh, this was definitely imported uh, at the, the end of the 16th century when Hans Heinrich Karman came from Flensburg to, to Sweden to build various organ, among others, the big organ in the Uppsala Cathedral around 1600, which was a big organ with a 32 foot pedal uh, um, um, case principle. Mm -hmm. And uh, unfortunately, that organ burned down uh, after some years. But then later on, his son, Johann Niklas Karman, who is actually called the father of Swedish organ builder who lived uh, from the end of the 17th century to the beginning of the 18th century. And he built a new organ in 1730 in Uppsala Cathedral, which survived until 1871, so there are only some photographs left of that organ. But one of his organs is very, very well preserved in Löstabruk, in, in the village of Löstabruk, a bit north of Uppsala, a big organ of 28 stops, two manuals and pedal, right in the middle of the forest. Because uh, the family, family de Geer, who came from Belgium, uh, who was uh, in charge of these iron works in this village, he uh, wanted to show off how rich he was. He had on this really, really fancy organ uh, put up in this church in this village, and it was later forgotten and rediscovered in the 1930s. So it's, it's one of our really real gems in Sweden. So Lovstabruk, it's a fantastic uh, Baroque organ, late Baroque, basically, right? Organ which which can uh, play can be played, uh, for for example, music of of. Post-Bach era, right? Uh, uh, Pre-classical or classical even music, right? Absolutely, yes. You can play very easily, for instance, Krebs, or mm. of course you can play Bach also. Uh, it has a separate pedal division without couplers, so it has the full specification in the pedal. 
and it's a really positive and Hauptwerk and you can you can actually play good trios or you can play Krebs or anything like that. You could call this organ a typical Rococo organ. Mm-hmm. It has a very, very elaborate decoration and it's also quite modern because it has chromatic C to C3 in the compass, which, which is... Oh, uh, Okay. In twenty-eight, rather advanced for being out in the middle of the countryside in Sweden. Right. So up to this point, uh, most of the Swedish organs had short octave, I would assume, right? So then they had short octave. Yes. Mm-hmm. Can you describe our listeners what uh, what the thing is? Is this short octave? What what is its function? The short octave is, is actually that you don't have any semitones down in the bass. So the lowest key you see on the keyboard looks like an E. But actually, that E is actually a C, and the F sharp is a D, and the G sharp is an E. And then you have to go back again and play the F and then G, A. And then after A only, you have a semitone with B flat, and then B and C. So that's also... Especially in small organs, it was used quite frequently because then you don't need any pedal when you have those notes, because you can reach those notes quite easily with your fingers. So, so the very often organs without pedals had also short octave. Right. I remember back in 2000, remember when we first met, uh, uh, in your house, uh, you have this wonderful, um, we would say, Latvian organ, right? A little bit uh, Latvian style organ that Janis Kalnins, our common friend, uh, built for you. And it also has the short octave. And I remember uh, it's my fir- it was my first experience with this uh, kind of layout. And I couldn't figure out my fingering. And uh, and you were so fluent with this and and yeah. wonderful. So it takes practice, right? It takes practice. It's a matter of training. But uh, for that music composed in those days in the 17th century, actually it's very convenient with the short octaves because there is written for the short octaves. You can easily reach the notes and don't need any pedal for help. Wonderful. <laughs> Wonderful. So, so anyway, if I continue a little bit of the Swedish organ history, uh, then pupils of Johann Niklas Karman uh, uh, built lots of organs uh, later on in the 18th century. Olof Hedlund, Grenen Stråle, and Olof Schwan. Then there was also, also a second school of organ building in Linköping in Sweden, started by Jonas Vistenius, who actually studied in Königsberg with uh, Kaspari and Morsengel. So he came back to Sweden and started his own organ workshop in about 1740 and built organs up to he died. And then his uh, pupil, uh, Per Schelin, took over the workshop. Mm-hmm. But then, of course, uh, so they built some very, very nice, you can say, Rococo, early classical organs, uh, but basically some kind of Baroque. Uh, style as well, so there are good uh, lots of good examples of these organs still preserved in Sweden. So Jonas Vistenius, uh, through the link uh, with uh, uh, Johann uh, Sigismund Kaspari, I believe, and Mosengel uh, uh, from Königsberg, it's the direct link with Lithuanian organ culture tradition, right? So Absolutely. can you elaborate a little bit our Baltic ties, also, Joran? Yes, of course, in those days, the Baltic Sea actually connected the countries, as is partly the case today also. And uh, I think that probably, I'm not sure, uh, Jonas Vistenius is quite possible that he had followed his master maybe into Lithuania and into Poland as well to build organs. We have no uh, written evidence that he did so, but uh, at least 
we can see some features of the style of the of the organs to have some resemblance between the traditions and a bit of the sound as well also even though there are some other ingredients also in the Baltics but there are definitely connections mm-hmm. and uh, through Baltic culture it's uh, how we first met right it's uh, uh, I remember um, Yes, I visited you in in Sweden first, but you we have to mention to our listeners that you yeah. were in Lithuania many many times before and in the Baltics also that you know all three Baltic languages, right? And Latvian and Estonian and Lithuanian, uh, and it was so amazing to to hear uh, to speak uh, our native language out of the Swedish mouth. Yes, and um, it started actually in the beginning of the 1980s when I went visited the record shop in Helsinki where they were selling these uh, Estonian and Latvian and Lithuanian organ records. And I, I realized, oh, there are organs in these countries that were completely closed off by the Soviet Union. And uh, I thought I will probably never be able to go to these places, but at least I can get these records and listen to them. I found that was really interesting, and I'm sure that there could be lots of valuable organs around in these countries. Um, so then suddenly when it all opened up and, and uh, people started coming over to Sweden, then I got some contacts and started off in Estonia, and then from 1992 to Lithuania, met Rimantas Gucias in Lithuania, and then later on I met Janis Kalnins in Latvia, and other organ builders in all the three countries and then it started first with Estonian because one could only speak German, the other only English so I thought I had to learn some Estonian to be able to to take part in discussions and then I came to Lithuania and Lithuania and Rimata said, oh, how you like Estonia better than us, don't you? <laughs> so can I, I have to learn your language as well. So a friend of mine wanted to start to learn Lithuanian, so we went to the university. And then I got to know people in Latvia and said, they said, you're not our friend if you don't learn Latvian. So some years I actually studied all the three languages parallel. So one day of each language. So uh, you're an, you are one of the two Swedish people who who speaks all all Baltic languages. I know, I know. Uh, the other, uh, the the second one being uh, uh, Jonas Ermanen, right? Yes, yes. Uh, right, uh, the famous. He has a few more languages than I do because he's now helping a lot of people in Ukraine. So I'm sure he That's speaks true. Ukrainian also. That's true. So wonderful. Yes. But the Baltic people, uh, Lithuanians, Latvians, and Estonians. They don't usually learn their neighboring countries' languages. It's strange, isn't it? It's a bit strange, maybe, but of course it's maybe not so easy. For, for Lithuanians, it could be quite easy to learn Latvian, uh, but for, to learn Estonian is quite difficult because it's a completely different language family. So, uh, But I would say that Lit- Lithuanians and Latvians could understand uh, 50% uh, by a uh, written text if they read written text but uh, of course the pronunciation is very diff- different also yeah. so. very uh, uh, closely related languages yeah. great Joran and uh, going back to the Swedish organ culture uh, we have to remember probably the, what kind of religion did you have or do you have the most 
Lutheran, right? Yes, most Lutheran, because um, uh, when the Reformation was started by Gustav Vasa, he, he, uh, it took him about 100 years to, to carry through the Reformation. But then it was more or less done by force. I think the Swedish didn't really want to become Lutheran. They were Catholic, and uh, for, some, for a short time we, we had also uh, Sigmund Vasa from the Polish-Lithuanian kingdom as our king. So we could also have been joined with them. But anyway, the, it was a political thing with the Reformation. So from 1593 and onwards, it was only allowed to be Lutheran when you were in Sweden. Otherwise, you would be thrown out of the country. And it was also a state church. So the state had to decide everything. They were the officials out in the villages. The priest was the official. Mm -hmm. So also the singing was regulated and the music was regulated. So they decided later on, in the 19th century, when uh, they, they introduced a new hymn book, they said also we need organs in every church so we can bring the singing in order in the Lutheran church in Sweden. Mm -hmm. And uh, so around 1800 or beginning of 19th century, they had run out of organ builders because they had all died, Charlene and Schwan and all those. So they sent two talented young men to Germany to learn organ builder. One was Per Zacharia Strand and the other one was Gustav Andersson. And they were sent out to learn organ building, and they brought with them a kind of post-Silberman style of organ building to Sweden, which was a bit more romantic and a bit more moonshine-like in, in, in the sound. And, and they built quite many organs around Sweden until they died in the middle of the 19th century. And then they were short of organ builders again, so they sent a new, a new, new um, talented young man, Per Larsson Åkerman, to Belgium and to France and to, to Germany to learn the latest in organ building. So he brought a late romantic, slightly French-German-inspired organ with flute harmonic and Vasseleste and such stops with him to Sweden. So that was still yet another jump in Swedish organ tradition. At first, like, it was more like Germanic influence, right? Yes. And later on, it became more French, right? It, a little bit different culture. Was the music also influenced by those two countries as well? Uh, to begin with, I think it was uh, very much improvisation. They they, yeah, they, they um, played the chorales and the ch church music and improvised. Or they played a military march or something like Like Napoleon's march over the Alps they played in the 19th century often as, as postludes. Right, right. And, and, but later on, of course, uh, the organ, the solo organ tradition started. But mainly, I would say, in the 20th century, it developed really very much. There were some composers already from the 18th century, but most of it was rather 19th and, and, and early 20th century when it really started off with solo music and organ education in the conservatories and so on. Because before that, uh, the school teacher and the organist was usually the same person in the village and uh, he could play some organ and teach the children and do some vaccinations and things like that. Fantastic, fantastic, yeah. Joran. Uh, Swedish culture is so rich with these different sounds. Uh, I, I think uh, uh, when we talk about uh, early 19th century, that's that's still baroque style i think uh, um, instrument right or late baroque rococo style yes. like in Lo lovestabruck right maybe yeah. 
something like that. Uh, it amazes me that so many eight-foot foundation stops you have in yeah, each yeah. division, you know. And just like in central Germany, probably, right? Something yeah. like that. Therefore, crep music by crep sounds spectacularly well on these situations, right? Yes. Like the the record that Bill Porter recorded in Gamal Shield, I like maybe, oh, maybe yeah. uh, nobody yeah. can can uh, forget this fantastic uh, recording of 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 uh, Klavierübung. It's 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 a gem, really fantastic so, yes. gem. And uh, then later on, of course, it went the, the Romantic style developed into the 20th century and into the pneumatic area like everywhere else in Europe but still quite sort of rather typical Swedish flavor of sound quite rather stringy principles lots of flutes and so on but uh, later on uh, in the 1930s the, the organ reform movement from Germany took on very very heavily in Sweden because there were some organists like uh, Henry Wehrmann and Alf Linder and Gotthard Anair, who who were really sort of forefighters for for the German organ reform, which meant also that very many uh, very valuable uh, romantic organs were scrapped in the 1950s and 60s when they had lots of money and uh, they wanted this. They thought that we will never play romantic organ mm-hmm. music. So we have some thousands of these very very screamy neo baroque organs. Uh, that that were built in those record years, so to speak. Right. And uh, were there any damage done to historical instrument as well during that period? Uh, not so much during that period, because uh, there was one old doctor who was interested in the organ, who voluntarily went around to all the churches in Sweden. His name was Einar Erisi, and he made a catalogue of all the uh, preserved historical organs before 1860, in Sweden and and did research in the archives and whenever such an organ was threatened he said can you please let me play for a Sunday so I can show you what this organ can do and in that way he he preserved and and saved and rescued very many of these organs course, in the 1930s and 40s, very often they pneumatized the, the, the old organs and maybe kept two stops or something in the, the organ case. But from the 1950s, 60s and onwards, uh, the protection of these organs started uh, to be legislated and so on. And that has, of course, been moved uh, later on to later style of organs as well. But, uh, so that means that we have about 250 organs built before 1860 mm-hmm. in Sweden. Do you know the approximate number of total pipe organs in Sweden? I think it could be something like between 3,500 and 4,000 organs mm-hmm. altogether. It's hard to, to count every little positive somewhere. But, uh, right. And yeah. how many people do uh, live in, in, in Sweden totally? In total? Now, now we're coming up to, to 10 million. 10 million, oh, okay. So we're a country twice the size of Great Britain and the population of London. <laughs> Great, fantastic. Uh, and you have four or 3,000 organs. Great. And uh, uh, what's the situation now? Uh, uh, are they mostly well-preserved or protected? Generally, or they, they were Yes, and protected, taken care of also. In some places, some of them are still in rather bad condition, but they're slowly getting restored Mm. one after the other. Of course, the problem 
in later times have been the sale, sale of, of uh, electronic organs. Unfortunately, some organists think it's very convenient that you can transpose and you can do whatever you like. And that's a little bit of a problem that we have. So in some churches, actually, this pipe organ, if there has been a bad one, has been scrapped. And unfortunately, many of these rather bad neo-baroque organs have sometimes been replaced by, by the electronic organs. But there are, there are also cases where a church bought an electronic organ and later replaced it with a pipe organ. So, uh, yes. And, uh, of course, Joran, uh, it's uh, thanks to you and thanks to uh, Nicholas Fredriksson, right, who are basically two people responsible for uh, for expertise in or in his for historical organs you are both organ experts uh, right can you elaborate a bit a little bit um, what are your duties in this uh, situation what what do you do well i'm i myself i'm i'm only functioning as as a as a private and uh, enterprise uh, organ consultant so i i am being hired by various parishes to make restoration programs or evaluation or something like that of organs. I don't have any official position in Sweden as organ expert. My main mm -hmm. profession is to be curator in, in the Nidal collection in Stockholm, the Stiftelsen Musikultur and Sfremjande, which we have about 550 old musical instruments and 2,000 music manuscripts and letters and of composers. So we have uh, but uh, With that base, of course, I have also developed my knowledge in organ and restoration of organs. So, so uh, I have a, a number of projects and I've had a number of projects of very, very different kind of organs. So everything from 18th century organs to, to pneumatic or to, to even neo-baroque organs that needed to be preserved. So, so I have built up by experience, I could say, quite a good expertise after, after some years. It's a little bit off-topic, but very much connected. I know Sweden have many, many clavichords as well, right? Yeah. Uh, yes. And, and they are, in the, in the past, were used mostly for organists, right? To play and practice at home. Um, it's very interesting. What is the state now? Uh, do people enjoy playing and hearing clavichord music today? I think that there are also quite some people, and there were some years ago also uh, clavichord building courses, so people could actually build their own clavichord. And there were quite many who, who came to these courses. And I remember here in the museum we had a clavichord concert once with 80 people. As, that's full house in our place, listening to clavichords. So I think there are quite many who are interested in clavichord. And, of course, in Sweden the clavichord survived very long into the 19th century and were actually built parallel with the square pianos until about 1835. So, so we have some of these very big clavichords by Lindholm and Söderström and Ludqvist and all those. What about pedal clavichord? Do you have those too? Not really, no. I haven't seen any Swedish example. There were more in Germany, I think. More in Germany, more right. Yeah. Uh -huh. Actually, uh -huh. the pedal course. board as such, most of the Swedish uh, organs in the countryside actually had a very little... Uh, pull down pedal, maybe one and a half octave or something. That's the, that's uh, so the Lerstabruk and some others are really exceptions in the in the 18th century. Only later on, in the, by the end of the 19th century, in the beginning of 20th century, it was more standardized with the normal pedal board. But before then, it was usually maybe one and a half octave pull down pedal. 
wonderful yarn you give you've given us a, a very short brief but very condensed view of 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 um, swedish organ culture but we can can we uh, for the ending of our conversation a little touch a little bit on the composers right for our listeners what kind of composers should uh, our listeners be aware of if they yeah. want to play swedish music as well today uh, there are there is of course uh, one place in Visby. There is what is called the Visby Tablature, which is a very old manuscript with organ music. I think that's, that's music from very different composers, and that was played on the organ that is now being reconstructed in the Visby Cathedral from 1599. So that, but then otherwise, uh, in the 18th century, uh, first in the 17th century, we had the family Duben, who were organists in the German church. So they collected lots of music. They did lots of music and, and composed also music for the organ. So the Dieben collection in the Uppsala University Library has lots of interesting music from the 17th century, like Monteverdi and Schütz and all sorts of things like that. And Anders Duben was a student of Zwelling, right? Jan yes. Peterson Zwelling. That's how, how this uh, Zwelling tradition was transferred to Sweden as well, I think. Exactly, yes. And then uh, the, later on it was um, uh, the organist in, in the Stockholm nowadays cathedral, but then the big church that was Ferdinand Selbel. There were both father and son Selbel who wrote quite elaborate 18th century organ music. And then there are some also from the later, but uh, I would say the main part of the Swedish organ music would be rather end of 19th century and beginning of 20th up to the middle of the 20th century. We had a long romantic tradition which ended with Gustav Hegg and Otto Olsson and, uh, and many others, uh, other romantic, Oskar Lindberg is also one of And he died in 1955, so that's mid-20th century. And uh, there is lots of nice organ music from that period, which is getting increasingly popular around the world as well. And then, of course, right after that, uh, the, the new, um, the, you could call it style, the Neusachlichkeit took on in Sweden. So most of the organ music that was written after, from the 1950s and onwards were quite... Uh, quite modern and, and uh, up to Torsten Nilsson who made big clusters and things and I think nowadays the organ music has gone back a little bit more to the traditional lines but we had a very experimental period in the beginning of the 1960s like Bengt Cambreus right? Yes, Bengt Ambrius was one of our big... Uh, then also Karl-Erik Wellin, who improvised a lot on the organ, and, and Torsten Nilsson is one of our greater organ composers from the 1960s and 70s. And um, that is um, uh, quite an expansive period in Swedish, and that came very much together with the organ reform movement also. And then, of course, uh, by the mid-1980s, people had had enough of these mixture, mixtures and small regals and things. So then the, the people started playing César Franck and romantic music again, and uh, the romantic organs started slowly coming back, and also organs inspired from the early 19th century in Sweden, when reconstructions also of historical organs, so that it has come back, come back to a little bit more traditional style now. 
Fantastic, Joran. I'm so grateful to you, to your generosity of sharing those ideas to, throughout the world, right? And yeah. uh, I hope you will continue your work of uh, of very generous and uh, doing uh, things that matter to a lot of people. Thank yeah. you so much. And You're welcome. I hope to speak to you. to you. I hope that uh, people see some. Wonderful. And uh, okay. before we close, can you direct our listeners to some place online where they can connect with you and your work? Uh, yes, they can um, uh, come to the museum website, which is nidalkoll.se. You will probably put it out in writing also on your page. Absolutely, yeah. And the other page they can get in touch with me is my uh, organ consultancy page, which is orielconsult with a K dot SC. Wonderful. So you can find me there also. And, and uh, I'm happy to, to be in contact with anybody who likes. And also you, you can search me on Facebook, of course, and, and also our museum on Facebook. And of course, we have to mention that you are active in International Society of Organ Builders, right? Yes. So you are the, the secretary, right? Yes. of that uh, wonderful organization uh, which unifies uh, organ builders or of entire yes. I don't know entire world right and yes. um, so that's amazing that the organ builders also are united and you are yeah. one of them taking yes. care of this exactly so that's how things are wonderful so wonderful. have a splendid evening in uh, in Sweden and wonderful creative and brave year ahead of you thank you thank you Joran if you liked this conversation, I encourage you to visit my blog Secrets of Organ Playing at organduo.lt where you will find lots of insights, practical advice and training for every area of organ playing. You can subscribe to this blog for free to get your daily dose of inspiration and to be the first to know when any of my future podcasts roll out. I hope to help you reach your dreams in organ playing. I'm Vida Spinkavitus. Thanks for listening. And I'll catch you online really soon.